Well, good morning, Faith Bible. Would you please join us as we worship this morning? Sin of 
All right. Good morning, Faith Bible Church. It's good to see you. I can't see you, but it's good to see you. My name is Jay Reisner. I'm one of the pastors here. And once again, uh, we're, we're here in an empty room this morning, but uh, we trust that you are gathering in your homes all over our uh, community this morning. It's a sort of heartbreaking privilege <clears throat> to do church in this way. Heartbreaking because we'd rather be here together, uh, worshiping as the church gathered, uh, but a privilege because we have this technology available to us uh, that we can stream these services uh, into your home. Uh, you can see them live. You can catch up on them uh, later. You can rewatch them uh, if that's your desire as well. I want to see a show of hands as to who's wearing their pajamas still. I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, also, who's eating breakfast maybe still? A few of you, I'm sure. Uh, I say that because one thing we want to try to do this week is uh, we've created a hashtag. I'm not going to go into explaining what a hashtag is, but for those of you that use social media, Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook, use the hashtag FaithBibleAtHome. Uh, and if you post a picture of your family worshiping in front of the fireplace or in front of the television or in front of the uh, uh, computer, uh, put that up on social media using uh, the hashtag Faith Bible at Home. That way we can uh, have a look at one another as we uh, gather and be encouraged by each other as we uh, kind of get together in this orth unorthodox fashion here during this season of time. Uh, a couple of things I want to make you aware of uh, for the week ahead. Our children's ministry um, is putting together care packages uh, for our children. So if you'd like a field trip with your kids this week to get out in the car and to stop by the South Portico, on Wednesday or Thursday, we'll, we'll send out some communications as to how the, the pickup will work. Uh, but you can stop by here, uh, and we'll have a care package for you. Uh, it'll be put together in a very responsible, uh, sanitized way and delivered to you uh, in that way as well. But in it, it'll have um, some crafts and some other things that uh, you'll be able to do at home with your kids just to encourage them, to encourage you, uh, and just to have a ministry uh, to, into their lives during this time where they're, where they're at home. Uh, also, communications. Communications in this time is um, very strategic and a little bit more difficult without you gathering here uh, at the church on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Uh, so you'll continue to get communications from us. We don't want to just flood your inbox and overwhelm you with communications, but at least midweek uh, and at least a couple of times on the weekends, uh, you'll be seeing things from us in email and on social media. We'll even be doing some more video stuff uh, from Mark and uh, others on our staff uh, just to uh, keep you connected to the life of, uh, of Faith Bible Church and to keep you encouraged uh, as you isolate at home. Uh, and speaking of that, we also have uh, a team of people mobilized to provide care for anybody uh, in our church that just shouldn't be getting out in this time. Uh, so if you need uh, groceries picked up or a prescription picked up, um, we'll continue to get that phone number in front of you and to get that link on our website uh, in your inbox so that you can either call uh, or fill out a form online uh, and somebody can take care of those uh, necessary errands for you if you just really should not uh, be getting out. So again, it's a privilege to to meet in this way, even though we're not gathered. It's a privilege to meet in this way, to worship together, to know that we're all worshiping together, uh, even though uh, we're scattered in our individual homes. What I want you to do now is just bow your heads, uh, and I'm going to pray for us as we continue in our time of worship. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge right now our dependence upon you. The one thing this virus has reminded us of is our frailty, our smallness, 
Mankind has subdued much of the earth with our innovation, but we are reminded in this moment how powerless we really are. So we repent together. We repent uh, of believing that we're self-sufficient. Lord, we do lament the fallenness of your world. We, like your son, we weep and rage at, at the sickness and the death that we see. And yet we know that it is Jesus whose death and resurrection defeated this foe, defeated the, the foe of sin and death. And we long for the day when our resurrected bodies will uh, be, be realized, where your earth will be restored. So as we endure this new normal in our lives, we pray earnestly for <clears throat> the medical doctors, the nurses, the healthcare professionals who are putting their lives on the line for their neighbors. We ask that you give them strength and, and, and physical immunity uh, during this time so they can help push back against this virus. We pray for those who are working on vaccines and on testing. Lord, we thank you for gifting them with, with knowledge and, and wisdom that we don't have. We pray for their endurance and for breakthroughs and for resources. Lord, we acknowledge together that you are the great physician, so we pray for healing for, for the victims of COVID-19. Lord, you're the creator with, with power over creation, so we pray for COVID-19 to be destroyed. Spirit of God, you are the comforter, so please comfort our troubled souls in this time. Dear God, move in the hearts of our public officials as you have instructed us in your word. We want to intercede on behalf of our president, on behalf of Congress and governors and mayors and local officials. We ask that you guide them with wisdom and strength and discernment. We also pray for the people of our nation and the nations of the world, that they would be humbled, that they would turn to you in repentance and faith. We know that you are the Prince of Peace. You're the Lord of Lords. You're the King of Kings, as we're about to sing. And we praise you for your goodness and your mercy. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in the love to those around me Jesus, the name above every Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my Oh, uh-huh.
Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it Father, thank you so much for the gift of us being able to unite together, even though it's not the standard way, Lord. Um, please be with Mark this morning as he brings your word. Lord, give us ears to hear. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Ted, and, and everybody for helping us out here this morning and leading us in worship. Um, it's, uh, it's not the same without you all here uh, singing these songs together, but uh, I, can, I can hear the voices as I'm here in the morning, and I, I uh, kind of imagine us all being here singing together and lifting our voices to the Lord. Um, it's great to be here with you all. Uh, Cheryl and I miss you, and all of our staff misses you, and uh, we're so thankful for the technology God's given us to allow us in times like this to continue to meet together. Um, we need to remember at this time that the, uh, this building is not the church. Uh, you're the church. Uh, we're the church together. And wherever we gather and however we gather, uh, we're still the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, wherever we are today, we need to uh, find our strength and our solace uh, in the Lord and in Him alone. Uh, you and I need to remember that the world is watching and that uh, we need to stand strong. Um, A.W. Tozer said this years ago, this is a great word for today. He said, a scared world needs a fearless church. That's a great statement to remember. A scared, church, a scared world needs uh, a fearless church. And you and I find our, our strength in the Lord. Um, I've been reading through uh, the book of Deuteronomy uh, in the evenings. And uh, a couple of nights ago, I read Deuteronomy 30. At the end of it, it says, the Lord is our life. Uh, God's not just part of our life or an addition to our life. He is our life. And it's in Him that we can stand strong and fearless uh, in these times in which we find ourselves. Well, before we get started this morning, let's pray. Uh, we need to be praying a lot these days. Let's commit our, our time and ourselves to the Lord. We remember the words of David in the Psalms when he wrote this, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure. You make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Father, in these turbulent times of so much upheaval, we look to you alone, the Ancient of Days. We rest in you, our rock, our fortress, our stronghold. Lord, you alone are our strength. Father, we pray for rapid containment of this virus. We pray for a minimal loss of life. We, we pray for what's happening in places like Italy and Spain. We ask, oh God, your hand of help and, and mercy to be upon them. We pray for a minimal social and economic disruption in our country and around the world. Pray for our president and for health professionals, for Vice President Pence as he leads this, uh, this team who, who's combating this virus. We pray that you'll give them wisdom to know what to do and what not to do and when to do it. We pray for our governor, Governor Stitt, Lord, give him wisdom in this time as well to help and to guide our state. We pray for the businesses and the work of our members. Father, protect us and Father, give us generous hearts, even in these times of uncertainty. Help us not to live with closed, tight-fisted hands. Help us to be good stewards, Lord, of our, of our time. Some of us have more time on our hands, Lord. Help us not to waste it. Help us to remember each other and to look for concrete ways to serve and comfort each other. And Father, keep us joyful in these times. Help us not to take ourselves too seriously. Give us boldness in these times to look for divine appointments, to share the good news with those around us who need Jesus. Father, use this crisis to bring revival, revival in our hearts and lives, revival in our church, and revival around the world as people see how fragile and fleeting life really is. So, Father, we come as your people today that you've called out of darkness into light, and we give ourselves to you afresh. We pray that you'll energize us and use us. 
And Father, we pray that Jesus will come soon. That He'll come back and rescue us. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning I want to bring a, a topical message. Um, usually we take a passage of Scripture and go through that. And we'll look at one passage a bit in Psalm 11. So if you want to go ahead and make your way there, we'll be there in a few minutes. But I want to bring this topical message. I've called it Surviving a Stampede. And I pray that it'll, it'll encourage us and edify us in, in these turbulent times. And again, we'll be in a few different texts, but I want to just uh, have you go ahead and turn to Psalm 11 if you want to. We'll be there in a few moments. Um, back in uh, 1857, out on the, the plains of Kansas, Major uh, John Sedgwick was leading a group of soldiers. And he had a, a small herd of cattle with them, several mule teams, some wagons. And uh, suddenly, as they were going across the plains of Kansas, I mean, just, you know, flat as can be, they began to feel the ground shaking underneath their feet. And they realized very quickly that it was an, an approaching buffalo herd. They realized they were going to quickly be caught in a stampede. One of the men described it as it would be an avalanche of hoofs and horns. You can only imagine. And the vastness of buffalo herds from that time is difficult to conceive. Herds could be 150 to 200 miles across. So Major Sedgwick didn't know a lot about stampedes, but he knew there was no way around the stampede. It was too vast. He knew there was no way they could outrun it, and he knew that they couldn't shoot them all. So he had no idea what to do. He'd been an officer for 30 years, but he was from Connecticut, and he'd never faced anything like this before. So with the thundering herd approaching, he turned pale and turned to one of his captains named Sam Sturgis and said, Sam, what in the world are we going to do? Now, Captain Sturgis had faced this before, so he ordered the men to form the wagons and the horses in a tight V shape. And he gathered all the troops right out there at the point of the V. And at his command, as the stampede was bearing down on them, he ordered his men to fire at the point right in front of them and not to stop. And so when they opened fire, they fired literally for 30 minutes without stopping. And they created a herd of buffalo, a heap of buffalo, and the herd divided, passing on each side of the V without destruction. And so they were saved that day from this stampede because Captain Sam Sturgis knew what to do. He knew what to do when facing a stampede. And the question really for all of us today is, do we know what to do? Do we know what to do when we face a stampede in life? A stampede of fear, maybe a stampede of anxiety, a stampede of uncertainty. And maybe for some of you here today, it's a stampede of loneliness, maybe discouragement, maybe even depression. You and I need to know what to do. And that's what this morning's message really is all about for you and for me. It's about surviving a stampede. Now, to help us divide the herd, if you will, that's bearing down on us, I want to just focus this morning on four simple biblical strategies that you and I can employ to survive this stampede and also to help those around us survive it as well because we're not in this by ourselves. And these four simple points, if you want to take notes here this morning, you can get the, the outline online. But it's, it's we need perspective, we need practicality, we need prayer, and we need proclamation. Four things you and I need to survive this stampede. The first thing we need is perspective. The first essential step when you're surviving a stampede is maintaining a biblical perspective. It's easy in times of chaos and confusion for our, our vision and our outlook to get skewed and for us to give in to panic and to stress. Now, most believers know that there's no better place to turn in times of trouble than the Psalms. 
We have this treasure trove of Hebrew poetry that really deals with every exigency and every eventuality of life. And the Psalms span the spiritual and emotional spectrum. And many of them, of course, address turbulent times. And all of us, I think, probably find ourselves at times like these uh, turning to uh, this ancient hymn book. One of my favorite psalms to maintain balance and perspectives in t- perspective in times of trouble is Psalm 11. Let me read this psalm for us, a psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright of heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. And upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves the righteous. The upright will behold his face. May the Lord write those eternal words on our hearts this morning. In this uh, Psalm of David, David is facing the equivalent of a stampeding herd of bison (laughs) that's threatened to trample him. And his enemies have risen up against him, and the very foundations of society are shaking beneath his feet. And in that environment, David pens, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uh, this Psalm of Trust. And really the lasting lesson of Psalm 11, and we're not going to dig into it as much detail this morning as we might at other times, but uh, the main lesson is when the foundations are being destroyed, you and I need a fresh view of God and we need a long view of history. You need to get a fresh view of God and who He is. And we need a long view of history. We need perspective. And so I have just two simple points to develop this psalm here this morning. We want to look at the stampede and then the shelter. We begin in verses 1 to 3 with the stampede, and we can't pinpoint the exact historical situation in David's life uh, that he's facing here. Uh, Some think David faced a military assault. Um, Others believe the language is just figurative. But all we know for sure is that this was born out of crisis. And as David writes, he's surrounded by friends, but his counselors, his friends are devoid of faith. Their advice to David is, David, head for the hills. (laughs) In other words, surrender to the panic. What do they say to David in verse 1? How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? And that's where a lot of people are today. They're they're in sheer panic, and they're losing their balance and their equilibrium. And they're reacting based on panic and, and pure feelings and emotions. People are, you know, ransacking stores and hoarding up, of all things, toilet paper. I mean, it's just, you know, there's, there's kind of panic and, and pandemonium out there um, in our culture. And David faces a, a situation where that's so dire that he says the foundations are being destroyed. Notice verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The word foundations here refers to pillars. And it's been variously uh, translated as the foundational principles of society or the settled order of things or the stays of society, the things upon which the culture's built. So it's a metaphor for the order of society or the established institutions. It's used for the pillars upon which a house rests. And when the pillars crumble, the whole house falls. It's overthrown. And that's what our world can seem like today if you watch the news long enough. The foundations are being destroyed before our eyes, and we live in a runaway world. 
And there's a lot of upheaval and uncertainty, and it's unsettling. And so what can the righteous do in times like these? Well, that brings us down in verses 4 to 7 to what I call the shelter. Our shelter when the foundations are being destroyed is a fresh view of God and a long view of history. Notice in verse 1, before uh, David uh, listens to his counselors, what does he say in the beginning words? In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? David makes an affirmation of his own trust before he turns to what other people are saying. The Lord is David's shelter and David's sanctuary. And this is the foundational truth of David's life. He keeps the Lord at the center of his vision and looks at everything through that grid. The Lord is his shelter and sanctuary. And that must be true of your life and mine as well. When everything else is moving, we go to the one who is immovable. As Proverbs 18.10 reminds us, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. When everything is shifting, we go to the one um, who is secure. Now, the rest of this psalm really gives a fresh view of this God who is our shelter. And it reminds us of three things about God. First of all, David reminds himself and us where the Lord sits. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Look, the greatest thing to know when the foundations are coming apart is that God is on his throne. Heaven has an occupied throne. God hasn't stepped off the throne. Heaven has an occupied throne. Look, it's easy to judge by appearances of the moment and believe that God has abdicated his throne. Sometimes he seems so strangely silent and trouble seems to kind of be mushrooming unopposed. But in spite of how things look, we believe there's a God who sits on the throne of the universe who's absolutely sovereign a God whose ways are far above our ways, a God who's sovereign and sufficient. I heard someone make a good statement this week. He said that he was repeating a friend of his who says, God is not almost sovereign. He's absolutely sovereign. If God's just almost sovereign, he's not going to really help us. But God's not just almost sovereign. I think sometimes as believers, we, we fall into this trap, you know, God's almost in control. No, God's not almost sovereign. He's absolutely sovereign. And you and I need to be rehearsing, uh, that rather than, than rehearsing the chaos of this world, you and I to be, need to be rejoicing in God's sovereignty. Psalm 45, 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Psalm 103, 19, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. I've mentioned this to you all before. We've looked at the book of Revelation. But when you study the book of Revelation, you have a scene um, on earth, and then you have a scene in heaven. And then you go back to what's happening on earth, and then back to the throne room in heaven, and back to earth. It pings, ping pongs back and forth from God's throne in heaven to what's happening on earth. And the message in that, in the book of Revelation, is what's happening down on earth, especially in that future time of trouble that's coming on this world, God is on his throne in heaven. So it takes us back to heaven periodically in the book of Revelation to remind us that God is in control of what's happening. So we stabilize our soul with the sovereignty of God. We need to soak in His sovereignty and speak to others of His sovereignty. Look, God is never, sh uh, never shocked or startled or surprised by crises or calamity. Uh, there's never any panic in heaven. There's only plans. God's not up there pacing the floor of heaven. Um, I like what one man said, the Trinity never meets an emergency session. 
When the foundations are shaking, the first thing we need to do is find strength in knowing where the Lord sits. He sits enthroned in heaven. But notice David goes on and tells us what the Lord sees. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Look, we find shelter in knowing what God sees, that he sees everything that's happening and knows it. See, God sits on his throne. That means God's omnipotent and he's all-powerful. But God sees all things, which means he's omniscient or all-knowing. God knows and sees everything. Uh, I heard someone once make this statement, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? It's a great thought, isn't it? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God knows it all. God knows everything. That's pretty profound. Now, the words here when it says his eyes behold, but then it says his eyelids test the sons of men. His eyelids actually pictures God squinting. Now, we know God doesn't have to squint to see, but this is kind of condescending to our humanity to saying that's how closely God sees everything. It's as if God is squinting or looking closely to make a close-up examination. And the point is God sees everything. He reads every heart. He knows every thought. He sees what's happening. God's not oblivious to what's happening in our world. And by the way, you'll notice it says here, his eyelids test the sons of men. God's testing us. In these difficult times and turbulent times, God's testing us. We need to ask ourselves, how are we doing in the midst of this test? But knowing that God sees everything that's going on, that God sees to us and through us, should give us comfort in turbulent times. Nothing escapes his gaze. And then finally, the third thing here in this psalm about God is what God shares. Notice in verse 6, it moves to the future tense. Upon the wicked, God will rain snares. In other words, he takes us all the way to the end, to the final judgment. He wants us to know God not only controls the present, God controls the future. In fact, he's already there. He's already out ahead of us in this world. So the God who sees all things will judge the wicked and bring them down in the end. But then he says in verse 7, but the upright will behold his face. This psalm begins and ends with the Lord. Notice verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. Verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. It ends with the Lord as our refuge and it begins with the Lord as our refuge and ends with the Lord as our hope. Look, present circumstances may be dark, but for us as believers, the future is magnificent. The Lord shares his presence with us. We're all going to see his face, and that's the long-term perspective we need to maintain. Again, this isn't a form of escapism, but it's simply a comforting reality that we're ultimately going to see God's face, and we're going to spend eternity with him. Whatever we face now is transient, it's temporary. Our destiny is to be with him. The upright will behold uh, his face. Uh, ben Patterson uh, has written several books I enjoy. One of his books called Muscular Faith. He gives this little statement. <clears throat> he says, when circumstances aren't as agreeable as I want them to be, I practice a little spiritual discipline that's managed to feed my hope and keep me in joy. <clears throat> I have a long version and a short version. Someone will ask me how I am, and I'll answer, other than the fact that all my sins are forgiven, and I'm going to spend, I'm going to live in heaven eternally in the joy of God, I'm not doing too well. And he says, the look on the questioner's face always amuses me. That and the little irony of saying I'm not doing too well in the face of such magnificent prospects usually lifts the cloud a bit. 
He says that's the long version. The short version is simply this. I'm fundamentally sound. I like that. The long version is, other than the fact that my sins are forgiven, I'm going to go to heaven and live eternally with God, I'm not doing too well. But the short version is, I'm fundamentally sound. And for you and for me, our sins are forgiven. We are going to spend heaven and someday in God's presence, as this psalm tells us. And so you and I, even in this time, should be able to look this stampede in the face and say, I'm fundamentally sound because of what God has done for me and what He's going to do for me. So the first thing we need to do in a stampede is gain and maintain a biblical perspective. We need a fresh view of God. We need to remember where God sits. We need to remember what God sees. We need to remember what God sends to us. We need a fresh view of God. We need a long view of history. That's the first thing we need. Now, the second thing we need in a stampede is practicality. You and I need to take practical, hands-on, concrete steps to protect ourselves and our neighbors and our families. In the midst of a stampede, a lot of people can get trampled, especially the most needy and the most vulnerable among us. And every believer needs to be on the lookout for those who need help and those who need encouragement and need assistance. We have to remember we aren't the first generation to face perilous plagues like this. By the way, that's another way to get perspective. This has happened a lot of times in history, a lot of times when they didn't have the medical advances we have today. But deadly plagues have ravaged this planet for centuries, and the church of Jesus Christ has had to navigate plagues many, many times. And in those perilous times, the church has risen to the occasion to serve and sacrifice for others. And we need to do the same thing in our time. We need to be faithful in our time. We don't get to choose our circumstances. We don't get to choose the time in which we live. We get to choose how we respond and how we live in them. Many people know Martin Luther as a great theologian, the father of the Protestant Reformation, but he also had some very practical, relevant advice to pastors and believers and really to communities who are dealing today with the coronavirus. Uh, Back in 1527, a long time ago, the bubonic plague hit Martin Luther's town of Wittenberg, Germany, and it set off a shockwave of panic. Now, the bubonic plague in Europe, the death rate for the bubonic plague was between 30 and 60%. And over the time that it ravaged Europe, at least half of the people in Europe died during that period of time. Um, Drastic actions were taken. Uh, The Wittenberg University where where Luther taught, uh, that was closed. Um, That should sound familiar, right? Uh, You know, businesses, schools closing up. So this is all the way again back in 1527. Now, in the face of this plague, Luther was urged to flee, even by many of his best friends and supporters, kind of like Psalm 11, you know, flee like a bird to the mountains, you know, Luther, you got to get out of here. And and believers in Germany were debating how they should respond to this plague. And Luther was besieged by pastors and believers who wanted to know his thoughts on dealing with this plague, and they wanted him to make a statement. So in response, he produced a paper that is titled, Whether One May Flee a Deadly Plague. And by the way, you can read it online. I read it this week, very beneficial in these times, very practical. But among other things, here's what Luther wrote. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. That's his first statement. I love that. I shall ask God to mercifully protect us. Then I shall fumigate. 
help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. Kind of sounds like social distancing, doesn't it? If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he's expected of me, and so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it's neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. So Luther's saying, look, I'm not going to be brash and foolhardy and tempt God, but I am going to trust God. And to me, this statement of Luther just drips with, with wisdom and prudence and practicality. This is kind of like a, a 16th century CDC guideline, if you will, uh, that Luther gave out. God wants us to trust him in these times, but he, but he also honors real world concrete steps to love our neighbor as ourselves. But God never honors or blesses foolish, reckless behavior. So God wants us to take care of ourselves as much as possible, but also to reach out to others in need in what I might call a prudent boldness. We just uh, got back, many of us did, uh, a a week ago Friday uh, from Israel. And I was reminded this week as I was thinking about what's happening in our world, about the the, the friends, the four friends who who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus on a stretcher. Remember in Mark chapter 2? It's actually Peter's house. They come to Peter's house and uh, they dig out the, the thatch on the roof and they lower him to Jesus. Now, these men were creative and sacrificial and they were bold. When, when they couldn't get into the house through the door, they, they take him up to the roof and uh, dig a hole through the thatch and lower him down to the feet of Jesus. So they stopped at nothing to minister to their friend and bring him to Jesus. And in turbulent times, we need to match their efforts to care for those around us who need the Savior's touch. Uh, Concerning reaching out and loving and helping others, here's what Luther said about helping people in need, again, during this time of the bubonic plague. He said, what would you do if it was Jesus? He's talking about helping somebody in need. This I well know, that if it were Christ or his mother who were laid low by illness, everybody would be solicitous and would gladly become a servant or a helper. Everyone would want to be bold and fearless. Nobody would flee. Everyone would come running. If you wish to serve Christ and wait on him very well, you have your sick neighbor close at hand. Go to him and serve him, and you will surely find Christ in him. So he said, don't just think about serving on behalf of Christ, but think about when you're serving the other people, you are serving Christ. And that's a, a really an echo of what Jesus said in Matthew 25. You help the least of these, uh, you're serving me. Now again, think about how much uh, adopting that attitude would drastically change our ministry uh, to others at all times, but especially in times of crisis and calamity. So let's ask God to help us see our friends and neighbors as Jesus, to love our neighbor as ourself, to love them like Jesus, but also to love them on behalf of Jesus. So look, the first thing we need to do is get a good perspective, a fresh view of God, a long view of history. Uh, We need practicality. We need hands-on love for other people, loving others as ourselves. The third thing we need to do, and again, this is something very simple I'm sure we're all doing, and that is we need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. Uh, Ray Stedman served as the pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California for, for many years. 
And he related a story uh, years ago that he heard from a seasoned mariner um, who'd navigated his ship through, through the surging stormy seas really all over the world in a career of many years. And he, he told of one particular perilous, perilous storm when he, it was so bad he didn't know if anybody would survive. And the old mariner sighed and he said this, yes, he said, the Lord heard the voices of many strangers that night. I like that because I believe God is hearing the voices of many strangers in recent days. Probably a lot of people who haven't called out to the Lord in a long time are looking to him as they see things kind of spiraling out of control. And maybe one of those voices the Lord hasn't heard from in a long time is yours. Maybe you haven't been seeking God and turning to him like you should. Perhaps in the midst of the confusion and chaos, you're turning to the Lord more often maybe than you ever have before. If so, um, I can assure you you're not alone. But I can also assure you that God hears you and he cares about you. I think in recent days, we probably all are feeling the need to, the sense to take a knee like never before. But as we navigate the, the coronavirus, few things are more important, I think, than our prayer life. We need to turn our panic into prayer. A prayer is a powerful resource at all times, but especially when we're facing a stampede. Um, S.D. Gordon years ago said this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. It's a great statement. You, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. And the Bible is filled with prayers and petitions from the book of Genesis to Revelation. Prayer needs to be an integral part of our lives, especially now. All the way back in Genesis 4, I love that statement where it says, and then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we've been doing it ever since that time because he's our refuge. We're dependent on him. I know I've told you all this before, but if you go through the New Testament, all of the Greek words that are translated prayer or petition or supplication, they all have one basic meaning, and that is to ask for something. That's what we do when we pray. We ask God for something. We ask Him because we're dependent upon Him. Uh, we're asking Him because we have needs. We have needs that we can't meet uh, for ourselves. And so the essence of prayer is asking God for what we need. And I would encourage you in this time to pray alone but also to pray with your family. Uh, maybe pray with your spouse. If you have children who are at home or you have grandchildren, when you get together, maybe just gather together as a family and use this as an opportunity to pray and to draw near to God, to pray for yourselves and to pray for our own ministries that God's given to us, uh, to pray for our neighbors and those we can help. Look, we come to God because we're needy and He's sufficient. Let me just mention a few things to be praying about. You know about these, but we need to pray for protection for our families and our friends and people around the world. We need to pray for, for rapid containment of this virus now and in the future. We need to pray for our leaders and our decision makers. All of us need to be doing that. We need to pray for the economy and those who've lost jobs. We need to pray that we'll maintain our joy in this time. We won't lose our sense of humor. We won't take ourselves too seriously. We need to pray for love for our neighbors. We need to pray for the, the, the Spirit to fill us and energize us in this time and give us vision for what we need to do. We need to pray for, uh, for a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but by all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus.
Notice it's not just prayer in Philippians 4 that gives us peace. It's thankful prayer, praying with all thanksgiving. There's several things right now that I can think about that I'm very thankful for, even in the midst of this tragedy. One thing is I'm very thankful that with this virus, I need to be thankful for. Um, You know, this situation's going on. I haven't missed a meal yet. I have a, a wonderful home to be in. I have my family to gather with. So many things we can be thankful for. But thankful prayer is the pathway to peace. Thankful prayer produces peace, a peace that passes all understanding. And there's few things more important right now than peace. And prayer, thankful prayer, uh, will give us that peace we need. So look, in this time of stampede, you and I need perspective. We need practicality. We need prayer. But finally, we need proclamation. A fourth key strategy to employ in a stampede is to boldly proclaim the gospel. Because after all, when a stampede's bearing down on you, we don't just want to think about ourselves. We want to be on the lookout for other people who may be in the path of this oncoming crisis. Of course, you and I need to be faithful ambassadors of the gospel all the time. Yet when times of crisis shake the world, fresh opportunities to spread the gospel come our way. And we need to make the most of those opportunities. I think all of us will find as we talk to people, there's an increased openness out there in our culture. And you and I need to be ready to to step into those open doors and be faithful witnesses and ambassadors for Christ. You know, another great preacher who faced a time of plague was Charles Spurgeon in London. There were two terrible cholera outbreaks in London during Spurgeon's ministry, one in 1854 and one in 1866. And speaking of the outbreak in 1866, this terrible cholera outbreak, Spurgeon issued this charge to pastors and all other Christians. And this is a great charge for us today. I've read this many times. And again, you can get online and uh, look up Spurgeon, you know, 1866, cholera outbreak, and you can find this. And you'll want to read it again. He says, now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they are already. And if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there's life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them he's able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto him, to come unto God by him. Tell them that he's able to save even at the 11th hour and say to the dying thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Beautiful. He says, look, tell them, lift lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them God became man, that man can be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them there's salvation and a look to the crucified one. Look, times of upheaval provide unique opportunities for you and for me to hold out the gospel. Look, we don't know why God's allowing this coronavirus. I certainly don't profess to know that. But one reason we can be sure is that God wants us to take this time when people are shaking and, to bring, and bringing them to the end of themselves and for you and for me to share with them the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember what Psalm 11 said, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. It's a time that God's testing us. 
And people sense that in our culture. We have a great opportunity to reach out to them. You know, one of the things I've noticed over these last few weeks is several of my friends who are pastors and people I know in ministry have called me. And sometimes when they're calling me, I kind of just sense they're probably reaching out to encourage me, but they're kind of reaching out to, and I could tell maybe they need some encouragement as well. And I've been calling some people. I've been calling some of my friends just to see how they're doing. And I've been calling some of my different friends who are in ministry. And uh, by the way, that's a really important thing for us to do right now. And everybody texts all the time. I'm old-fashioned. I like to talk on the phone. But uh, you just call somebody and and talk to them. How are you doing? Give them some encouragement. But uh, this was a tremendous encouragement to me I want to share with you. Um, I I called a friend of mine named Jack Hibbs, and uh, he didn't answer. He he, he likes to text more than talk on the phone. But um, he's a pastor of of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California, a big church there. He's become a really close friend of mine in ministry. Um, But anyway, I left him a a, a long message, just told him I was praying for him, and if I could do anything to let me know. He sent this back to me. Again, he's in Southern California. He says, hi, Mark. It was great to hear from you. Yes, California is on lockdown, but it's pretty awesome. Ministry, believe it or not, has exploded in the hearts of our people. They've been swinging by the church to pick up bags that they're handing out with food, dropping it off elderly care centers and elderly homes. I'll give you another example. The owner of the company that supplies bread, hot dog, and hamburger buns to Disneyland, which has been closed for over a week, all the orders had already been filled. So just like the days of George Mueller, we've been supplying bread and food goods to the church elderly and into the community at large. Here's another thing our city has asked us to be available for crisis counseling and phone calls uh, to people, to to pray with people. This is the the city asking them to do this. And he said, and here's the whopper. Through social media and online broadcast, things have blown up. We averaged 40,000 viewers on a Wednesday night. Last Wednesday night, we had 310,000 viewers as I spoke to an empty sanctuary. Last night, I gathered the pastors for one hour of directed prayer, streaming online. We asked people to turn their living room or bedroom or wherever their smart device was that they were watching us into a family altar, and then we proceeded to go through pastor by pastor major prayer issues. We had 65,000 viewers attend that prayer meeting. This is people out in California. He says, I'm sorry that people are dying, but this is the greatest week of ministry we've ever seen in 30 years. Mark, I don't want to be sensational, but I believe we are in the opening throes of a revival. At the very least, we're watching it happen here in Southern California. He says, give our love to Cheryl and your family. God bless you, my brother, Colossians 2.5. Who knows what God will do in this time if we make ourselves available for him to use us. Look, we all need to be praying. We all need to be proclaiming. Wherever we go, we ought to be talking to people and just throwing out a word to them of the gospel. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you have hope in these times in which we find ourselves? Years ago, I read a a great biography about C.T. Studd. Some of you, I'm sure, know that name, great missionary. Charles Thomas Studd, a great cricketer, the greatest sports hero in England of his day. Had a fortune, gave it away. I went and became a missionary to China, later to India, then to Africa uh, back in the 19th century. And years ago when I was a young man, I read the classic biography of C.T. Studd by Norman Grubb. And he tells a story in there about Studd's interaction with one of his cousins. Um, C.T. Studd had come back to the States, and he was invited to go speak in Wales. And uh, he was always looking for opportunities and been praying about how he could reach his own family for Christ. So when he headed to Wales to preach, one of his cousins there invited him to come to stay there with her and her husband. 
And he told her that he would do it on one condition, that they would come and listen to him preach at the meetings he was going to be preaching at. And so they agreed to do that. And so her name was Mrs. Thomas. And during one of the messages that that C.T. Studd gave, he said this, true religion. He said, the gospel is like the smallpox. If you get it, you give it to others and it spreads. Now on the way home, his cousin, Mrs. Thomas, thought that was a really bad illustration to use for the gospel, to compare the gospel to smallpox. Now she's an unbeliever, but she just thought it was very, very distasteful. And she talked to him about that on the way home, and that led to a long discussion of him presenting the gospel to her. Well, when they got home that evening, they talked some more, and they sat there, and she made a cup of hot chocolate for C.T. Studd and handed it to him as he sat on the sofa in the drawing room. But uh, she went on talking about different things, and she would begin to talk to him, and Studd wouldn't answer She'd talk some more and he wouldn't answer. And finally, she got very upset by that. And she said, why in the world are you ignoring me? She said, you're being very rude. And he looked at her and he said, that is exactly how you were treating God, who's holding out to you eternal life. God's calling out to you and you're not listening to him. The arrow pierced her heart. And uh, that next morning, C.T. Studd got up and he left and he went back to London. And as the story goes, two days later, he received a telegram from his cousin, And she said, got the smallpox and got a bad case of it. She'd come to faith in Christ and she wanted to see that spread uh, to others. Look, the same thing should be true in your life and my life. We could say the same thing today about the coronavirus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is like the coronavirus. When you get it, you give it to others and it spreads. And in that sense, may God help all of us to get a bad case of it and get it badly so we can share this with others. Look, you and I need to be spreading the gospel in times like these. People need it desperately. They're open like never before. May God help us to do that. Look, we're facing a stampede in our culture. You and I need perspective. We need practicality. We need prayer. We need proclamation. Let me uh, close with a story uh, I read in a book uh, a while back. Uh, Max Lucado has a really good book called Fearless. It's a pretty, pretty appropriate book for these days. He says this in the book. He says, at 817 on the evening of March 3rd, 1943, bomb raid sirens banshee to the air above London. Workers and shoppers stopped on sidewalks and boulevards and searched the skies. Buses came to a halt and emptied their passengers. Drivers screeched their brakes and stepped out of their cars. Gunfire could be heard in the distance. Nearby anti-aircraft artillery forces launched a salvo of rockets. Throngs on the streets began to scream. People raced toward the Bethnal Underground Station where more than 500 citizens had already taken refuge. In the next 10 minutes, 1,500 more people would join them. Trouble began when a rush of safety workers reached the stairwell entrance at the same time. A woman carrying a baby lost her footing on one of the 19 uneven steps leading down the street. Her stumble interrupted the oncoming flow, causing a domino of others to topple on her. Within seconds, hundreds of horrified people were thrown together, piling up like laundry in a basket. The chaos lasted for less than an hour. The disentangling of bodies took until midnight. In the end, 173 men, women, and children died. But then Lucado says this, No bombs had been dropped. Fusillades didn't kill people. Fear did. Fear loves a good stampede. Fear's payday is blind panic, unfounded disquiet, and sleepless nights. 
And then he closes with this statement. Fear's been making a good living living lately. Sadly, he's right. A fear has been making quite a living lately. And maybe fear's been making a living off of you. Fear about your future, fear about uh, your family, fear about your finances. If If so, why not commit today to quit paying? Why not end the stampede in your life today? So what I think we all need to do today is start unloading our spiritual ammunition at the center of the stampede, if you will, to fire away with God's truth that we've seen here today and watch the stampeding herd divide in front of us as we stand safe and stable and secure in our great God, the only one who can help us, our only solace, our only strength. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you here this morning as your people. And Father, there is a stampede out there, and we don't want to minimize that in any way. But we know that you're sufficient for the stampedes of life. We know that you're sovereign. We know that you're sufficient. We know that you're not almost sovereign. You're absolutely sovereign over the events of our lives. And Father, help us to see in these times in which we live what you're up to. And what we can be doing, Father, to minister to those around us. Give us a practical heart of love and wisdom to minister to needs around us. Father, give us open mouths and lips ready to tell other people around us how God became a man so that man can be lifted up to, be, to, to see God and to be with God. Father, minister to us in this time. Unleash our church, our people. Empower us and strengthen us to go out and do the ministry that you'd have us to do in these times in which we live. Father, may we always gain our strength and our hope from you and from you alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us here this morning, for being with us. Um, We appreciate it so much. Hopefully, we'll be able to get back together soon. I'm praying that we'll be able to get back by by Easter Sunday. It'd be wonderful to fill this place again and to fill it with our voices as we lift our our praise to our resurrected Savior. Um, Hopefully, we'll see you soon. We'll be having some some different uh, postings online. You can be watching for those various things. And again, let's take this message to heart today. Let's not be hearers of the word. Let's be doers of it. Take these things we've said today and go out and apply them in our lives. And let's see what God can do as he unleashes us as a church. A scared world needs a fearless church. And I pray that we'll be fearless believers. And Faith Bible Church will be a fearless church in these times. Let's bow now for the benediction. Let's uh, depart here and let's go our ways with God's blessing upon us. After you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. All God's people said, amen. Go in peace.